and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing late Sunday evening. Joining me from New York City, wearing a University of Akron gear, is Tim Buntemps. Hello, Brian. Shout out to Ryan Gensler, a guy we've talked about before. Got me this gear on Friday. Promised me that uh, to let McMahon know that his his shirt is on the way and will be arriving in North Texas sometime soon. We'll see how long it takes for postage to get from Akron to Dallas. Well, I wish Ryan well, but don't send me any gear. I won't be wearing it. Oh, it's got to be Wasu gear. World. Kent State grad who only roots for Ohio State. You got to send him Ohio State gear. Wouldn't say only. What was the most? Who's been the NCAA tournament most recently? Kent State or St. Bonaventure? Kent State, because I was at the last time Kent State was in the tournament, watching right. them play uh, play Indiana. Trace Jackson Davis, who had big game for uh, that's right, big game for the Warriors tonight, helped them he survive did. against the. Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, Brandon Pajemski actually uh, kind of sealed the game for them in uh, Portland with a taking a charge in the last couple wheezing seconds. performances. I would say from the Warriors and the Suns against bottom feeding teams. Look, the Warriors have gotten two wins in a row here. I didn't. Um, I didn't look up what the Steph. I think scored eight points in the game. Clay's broken out of the slump a little bit, but uh, Steph had eight points. LeBron's record is like what is it, 1,200 or something games with at least 10 or more points in regular season? Yeah. Steph, Steph had a streak of 268 games with a made three. That streak is now over. Well, 268, that's like probably goes back five seasons with uh, injuries. Yep. So, all right, joining us from Dallas, Texas is Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Was wondering if you'd ever get to me. You know I was. I was just, you know, not including you in uh, this Western Conference chatter. Uh, 0 of 8 from 3 uh, for Curry tonight, 7 points in a win in Portland, which, you know, used to be hard to do. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's not been a good weekend for the Cleveland Cavs, although they did get a victory uh, over the Atlanta Hawks on Saturday night in a, a great performance from Jared Allen. Uh, Friday afternoon, they got a double whammy. It's not often that a team, I'm sure it's happened before. I feel like the Oklahoma City Thunder one day had like three players get surgery. Two or three players got surgery on the same day. I remember, like, like, uh, and they, yeah, but d- depending on where they were in the rebuild, those might have been elective surgeries. Well, I don't know if they were elective, but they uh, may not have been, it may have been surgeries that you could have waited till at the end of the season, but they just got them done. I don't remember the details, but the only other time I remember a team announcing multiple surgeries in the same day, um, was the, was the Oklahoma City, but Cleveland did on Friday. Um, mm. I believe uh, Monday is when Darius Garland is scheduled for surgery on his jaw. He fractured it against the Celtics last week. And then Evan Mobley, uh, after missing four games with knee soreness, it was announced he's going to have a scope on his knee. I believe it's also Monday, but if it's not Monday, it's Monday or Tuesday. And he's going to be out 68 weeks. And I don't have, uh, I'm not a, a an orthopedist, nor do I have any super inside information. I just know that after 20 some years covering the NBA, I, one of my credos is there's no such thing as minor knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are players who have midseason knee surgery and come back and are very good. But um, I don't care about whether it says successful on the press release. I don't care whether they say it's just a scope. I don't care whether they say it's a trim. I don't care whether they say he goes back on his feet. He's running in a week. I don't care about anything. There's no such thing as minor knee surgery. So the Cavs, who were already... You know, they had won nine of 12 before they went on a really hard road trip where they played in Miami, Orlando, and two in Boston. They had one and three on that road trip. They were, but, but they were 13 and 12. Long story short, after 25 games, they were 13 and 12. 
you are what your record says you are. They had some, you know, they had a reasonably challenging schedule and had some injury issues, uh, but they were not impressive at all. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly not catching any, making up any ground on the top three in the East that they were behind last year. They were further behind uh, this year. And so when you hear, when you heard this Cavs injury situation, my phone started going on uh, people within the league, executives, etc., who wanted to know what I thought that they would do with Donovan Mitchell. For his uh, part, Donovan was asked about the situation on Saturday night and declined to answer. So something along the lines of, I'm focused on what's going on this season. Interrupted Don- the question. What's didn't, that? He interrupted the question. They didn't, they didn't want to get, I mean, and, you know, Donovan has never, ever publicly declared that he wanted to leave a team. Uh, certainly, I believe the Jazz had a very firm understanding of his desire to go elsewhere before they pulled the trigger, and frankly, for his entire final season in Utah. But then he didn't directly answer those questions when everybody knew he wanted to leave Utah. Um, in fairness to him, <laughs> you know, what's he going to say? Like, how, how, how do you want him to be honest? You know, probably not. Um, you know, and if he says, hey, I'm ecstatic in Cleveland, everything's great, and then ends up kind of indicating them sooner than later that he'd rather move elsewhere. Is he, a, is he a hypocrite? Is he a liar? So it's a tough spot for him. But look, when we've talked about this before, when they made that trade, they, they knew probably a two-year window, and then there's either a commitment or a big-time decision to be made, a commitment from Donovan to extend, or a big-time decision to be made from the Cavaliers. And as your phone lighting up this week indicated, that timetable on the decision could get moved up to before this deadline, depending on, I think, as much as anything, what kind of deals are on the table. All right, so the Cavs kind of have two options that they can go with. Neither of these injuries are season ending. Mm-hmm. Um, Darius Garland is reevaluated in four weeks. That doesn't mean he's going to be back. They're both, in four till, weeks. they're both out till February. Let's just say it that way. That's the that's the shorthand way to do it. Right. Neither of them out for the season. There will be a a lot of the season left when they come back. It doesn't really change any of the Cavs' goals. They're going to have to fight and scrap. They're not going to be a top three seed. They weren't going to be a top three seed anyway. So. They'll be fighting and scrapping to hang on. They've they're now basically promoting and giving more playing time to two way guys and you know guys who run Julie contracts that Sam Merrill and Craig Porter Jr. who's an undrafted rookie. They're mm-hmm. going to play them more. Maybe they'll have a diamond in the rough there. I I don't know, but they can weather the storm, get the two of them back, and attempt to find a rhythm after the All Star break and get in that top six and get some, you know, recover their lost momentum that they had at the end of last season and go. That is a viable option. Donovan mm-hmm. has a year left on his contract. They don't have to trade him now. If they, you know, the, the big problem that they have with any Donovan Mitchell trade, and this is true, whether it was in the summer or it was in next season or whatever, is that because they traded three first round picks and two swaps for him, them being sort of average on the other side of a Donovan trade is not acceptable. Any trade that they make, in fact, any trade they make at all with any of their their core players, mm-hmm. has got to be a trade that puts them in the same spot or have a chance 
to get them back in the same spot because they've mortgaged their future. It's kind of like the Nets a little bit. Um, the Nets don't control their draft position. They have picked up assets in the in the Kyrie and Durant trades, but the Nets cannot tank because they don't control their draft. So the Cavs have any, I mean, again, I would say this to people in Cleveland all the time. If they were 26-0 right now, they would still be racing towards pressure Donovan yeah. Mitchell in the summer of 2024. They knew that the day they traded for him. Um, and if they had to trade him in the summer of 2024, they would be under pressure to not come out on the other side in a worse position. It is very hard to find that type of trade, especially midseason. And so to me, it is absolutely viable for them to not trade them, not make a not trade down to the Mitchell, stick with mm-hmm. it, ride out the storm, the restorative value of the length of the NBA season coming back and try to you know, redo it and, you know, just say, Hey, we don't have to make a decision at the end of the season. We can, we can wait. That is one viable thing for them to do. Well, let me play devil's advocate to your point. Well, hold on. The second thing is to trade Donovan now. Mm -hmm. And if they were to do that, they would be in a somewhat advantageous position because depending on how you feel about Zach Levine, there is no star player on the market at the moment. Right. They made it known that Donovan Mitchell was available. He would, he would have, the rest of this season and all of next season on his contract, he has an option after that, but we're assuming he's not going to pick that up. Right. So a, a team who, who traded for him would have him would have his rights, the opportunity to extend him this summer and him tech, you know, technically for a year and a half in a market where no other players are available. Okay. Bon temps. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you're the, like, what's the argument really for the Cavs to keep him till the summer? None of us think he's going to resign there, going to extend there. Right. So essentially what we're talking about is are you waiting to rip the band-aid off of making a move for an extra few months for what? The 25% chance of them winning a playoff series, a 30% chance of them winning well, a playoff Well, I will series? tell you right, I just said why they wouldn't trade him right now because they can't do a trade where they're on the other side of it in the same or better position. That's what and, and, and I think well, I think but that... I don't I well first off, I don't know if that's necessarily true because if they do put this guy in the market, like we could set Zach Levine aside. We've talked about the mark. There is no market for Zach Levine. Otherwise the bulls would have traded him already. Right. Right. So if Donovan Mitchell gets put on the trade block, let's say the Cavs announced to the world Monday morning. Hey, listen, Donovan Mitchell is available. We had these injuries. It's obviously crappy luck. Our season's kind of stuck. We aren't going to be a team that's going to be in the top of the Eastern standings. We're not going to have home court advantage. It's very unlikely we win a playoff series. We're going to get more for this guy if a team has two playoff runs guaranteed out of it than one. So we're going to do this now. And we're going to put him on the block and we're going to we're going to put him out there. To me, I, I, I would understand if the Cavs didn't do it in the middle of the season and did it in July. I don't I don't think it I don't think they have to do it now. But I just to me, they there's not a real logical path for this team making any kind of run in the playoffs. So why not get more for him now? They're going to get less for him in July than they would trading for trading him. Now there's a ton of teams that I think would be trying to get this guy now and would give up what they have to get him. Whereas in the summer with one year left on his deal, I think he has a lot more leverage to I don't agree get with himself that. somewhere think, he wants to go. I think it just would have to be a team where he wants to go. You, you know, right. 
you you just had then have to negotiate with that team or teams. It yeah, would be I, hard, but it doesn't mean. Well, I, I think in the middle of this season where you've got a lot of teams trying to win and you've got pressures of teams not playing to the level they want to or to seeing opportunities to move forward. Yeah, but ultimately, me, if, if you put if, him out there Donovan, now, yeah, I think they're getting a lot more for him. Right, but ultimately, if a team was negotiating with the Cavs and making traction, they would contact Donovan's agent. They would get permission to contact Donovan's agent, and Donovan's agent would say, yeah, Donovan intends to extend with you, or Donovan's not going to commit to extending with you, and that changes sure. the tenor of the talk. So right now, quite frankly, Donovan, whether he wants to step forward and announce it or not, is going to have some control about where he's going. Sure, I and, if he, and, and if he's deemed as a rental, he won't have value. So I, I think the idea that. that you could trade him and say, well, there's more teams interested than the teams he'd want to resign with. I think that ship's already sailed. I, well, listen, I think it, to me, I guess this is what I would say. The Cavs don't really have a path to having a, a serious run in the playoffs this year like they wanted to have. I don't agree with right? that necessarily, and I don't know if they're there yet. Really? Yeah, I well, would say, what's the rush? Why are you, why, like, why are you? I would say the rush, I, I would it, say. It's not even me, Christmas. I mean, look, they can wait and see where this goes for a month. I'm not saying they have to do it tomorrow, but these guys are going to do it on the trade deadline, even if their season's not going well. Dude, first of all, I just think it would be very strange. If the Knicks or the Nets want to give up a massive package to get Donovan Mitchell, I don't think his value to them is going to drop between the trade deadline. I would fundamentally disagree with that. If you give a team an opportunity to have him for this year's playoffs, and down the stretch and into the playoffs, that's a that's a very fundamental difference that you're not going to have this summer. Also, okay, when so you it have, gets back to it gets back to you listen, you evaluate the deals, but you're in no rush unless unless the Cavaliers get a massive package for Donovan Mitchell, they shouldn't consider trading him before this deadline. Well, I I mean now we're having we this has gone in a very weird direction. I'm not saying they should hand Donovan Mitchell to somebody for five cents on the dollar. No, you're saying but panic. He's gotta go. He's gotta no, go. I no 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 this is this is I don't really understand what's happening right now. I the Cavs are not going anywhere. Yeah. My point is it's my point is if, that. okay we the Cavs are a five hundred team. They're not a championship have, team, but also it's not like dude Cleveland's won one championship in all major sports since 19. Well, whatever, just whatever go back. Year. They haven't won a playoff series without LeBron since. Yeah, the 90s. this I this is right. What, so I'm the not Cavs trying... winning a first round series would be a monumental thing. They I, still have the the possibility of that happening again. I, I think mean, they've they got to listen. They've got to evaluate. I, don't I will say this: I do think Bon Temps is correct in saying that the Knicks and the Nets, two teams that are sort of and riding, the and the they're heat. riding. Yeah, they're riding on the line. And like those two teams where Donovan, I think, would have a good chance of resigning. If they got into a bidding war, that could be interesting. Those three teams. Yeah, what about the Miami Heat, who would well, also you know, have been looking well, there's, for this there's kind of guard? more than three, even. Sure. But yes, of course, the Heat. I mean, those are all teams, teams that make calls. Well, like those are all teams that are in the same calls. boat as the Cavs, basically. They're sort of in this morass in between four and 10 in the East. Looking for a way to differentiate themselves, looking for a way to catch a uh, you know a rhythm, catch some fire. You, and I think if you put Donovan Mitchell in the trade market over the next month, when there isn't anything really sitting there anywhere near his value as a fantastic guard who's a, a one of the elite scorers in the league, like I guess what I would say is 
I'm not trying to belittle like what winning a first round series would mean for the Cavs. Obviously they have not had a lot of success outside of LeBron in a long time. I think making the trade made sense, but when you look at where their team is at, to me, there is a serious, there's a real material cost in just waiting to the summer when I think we all would agree. Sure. There's a possibility that this team would win a playoff series. As of now, they're more likely to be in the play-in than in the top four. And they're all but certain if that's the case, to lose in the first round, okay? Okay. So if the choice is lose in the first round and trade him in July for less than you could get during the season, which I think is almost certainly the case. I don't, or, I don't agree with that, but it's possible. Well, why, would it, why wouldn't it be less? Because again, all you need is a bidding war, which I think would potentially right. happen. I, Let me just I, say this. Okay. Let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Both of them made humongous trades with youth with the Utah Jazz in the summer of 2022. Huge draft picks, everything like that. They were in comparable places as organizations. They had a young talent that they really liked and thought was going to blossom into a superstar, Anthony Edwards and Evan Mobley, two different type of players, but they felt the same way about them. They had all-stars on their roster. And they felt that this trade would take them someplace that they hadn't been able to get, which is not only into the playoffs, but in a competitive area. Mm-hmm. Well, they also both made guard trades and the <laughs> different periods, but basically they were the similar type of trades. They made their big all-in trade, and the, the Timberwolves made a guard trade for Mike Conley, and the Cavs made a guard trade for Karis LeVert. That's a big difference, and that mm-hmm. sort of frames where they are now. But they're very similar when you look at when you look at kind of their decision-making process, um, you know, to go way sort of off the, the field here, when they made the Karis LeVert trade, Derek White was traded within a day or two. I think LeVert was traded the before. same day, I believe. Was it the I same day? They're both at the trade deadline. I just remember thinking, oh, my God, as somebody who's, you know, heavily involved in keeping track of the Cavs, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that they couldn't get Derek White. No offense to Karis LeVert, but Derek White was a player, and they had, yeah, had interest better, in him. Yeah, he's a better player, obviously. And and uh, I investigated it, and I was just told that you know that that the early in that season, the Spurs, early in the twenty one twenty two season, the Spurs had made a deal with Boston, a cap deal, and that that's where the initial Derek White talks happened, and there was just more traction. And when it came down to it, they were just there. I don't know what's true. I just know that. Think of the sliding doors moment if the Cavs had been able to get Derek White. They were in the market. Uh, the 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 Celtics gave up more they gave up a, a pick swap but they basically both traded first round picks and other stuff that wasn't relevant and you know the Cavs getting levert from indiana anyway but well the bigger but, the, the bigger my thing point is, is is that minnesota was was had spun its wheels and it looked like it wasn't working and they, they mm-hmm. waited for the ingredients to gel and boom now they're 18 and 5 they're a serious contender in the Western conference, they aligned it. Everything sort of fell into place. Their plan worked and look where they're going. They're taking off. Now, if you want to say to me that, that Ann Edwards and Evan Mobley are not comparable, you are. Correct. Well, no, I think, I think they are comparable. I think that's the story. The story is yeah. the cat, as we've talked about the Cavs thought Evan Mobley was a guy who in this third year could be an all-star and obviously now he's hurt, but he wasn't going to be an all-star. He didn't take the kind of leap forward that they hoped for. And because of that, they were kind of stuck. And like, look, I, I think it was a good swing to make the trade. I'm not trying to bag on the Cavs here. Just to me, with where the season has gone, 
They've obviously had some really bad luck with these injuries, but these guys are going to be hurt until the trade deadline. Well, the, so, the Timberwolves had really bad luck last year with yeah. with injuries. So, like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're Kobe Altman, the general manager of the Cavs or the president, whatever his title is, you're going to be you're going to be saying, well, wait a minute. I really believe in this team. And before I break it up, I may want to give it absolutely every chance. Sure, and, sure, and if that, that means would... that I get a slightly lesser player as a third part of a package or a slightly I... different protection on a pick for Donovan Mitchell. I'm I'm just saying, like, I don't blame what they're thinking. Here's the that thing, way. Bon Temps. I agree with Wendy on this. It's not necessarily about the as far as what you're getting in return. It's not necessarily about, oh, a year and a half, because there's going to be bidding war. And if there's a bidding war and it's the Knicks, the Nets, and the Heat, just name three teams we all think would likely have interest. Those are all three teams where they'd have a very good chance, I believe. Uh, at, at re-signing Donovan Mitchell. So it's not like none of them would be trading for him and, and perceiving him to be some sort of rental. So I don't think his value would be deflated. I think there's some other teams I, I in think, there that could make a run, but I would I don't want to cause an aggregation uh, you know, situation here. But I, I think a, at least two other teams that I can think of. Uh, well, like I said, I'll, I'll throw one out. Like the Rockets definitely are – hunting for a superstar because they'd like to get to phase three as quickly as possible. Well, now, it's another team in that division. Look, I, I, I mean, yes, you guys could theoretically say all these different things and oh, there, there could be a bidding war. There could be this, there could be that. I, I guess the point I just come back to is I don't see a path to this team having any kind of real shot at being a contender this year. So to me, you're just putting off the pain till later. And the idea that you're, you're going to get virtually the same package. I just don't buy it. You don't know what's going to happen this summer. You don't know what other guys are going to be available this summer that will take away from teams that could potentially trade for them. You don't know what how teams are going to be reticent to give up stuff with a guy a year away from free agency. You could indicate if he wants to go to one particular team at the time. Whereas right now, there's nobody available, and there's a lot of teams that are Listen, anxious this to is try to compete. I don't know this for sure. But this is probably the type of conversation that they're having within that front office. Yeah, and look, and, I, to know. be clear, if they don't trade them, I don't think it's a, a huge crime or that they're making a gigantic mistake. But I just don't see, to me, it's a pretty clear distinction between trading them now and waiting till July. Because I don't think any of us think he's going to be there in October. What, what the they difference. have to do, what they have to do is explore what his value in the market is they have to do that and and frankly there's well, no if they do that it's getting public well okay. if they do that they're going to trade him be upset he hasn't committed to them he like come on dude tim my point, point is if they but tim, my point that's my point though they're like to me if, if you're exploring donovan mitchell's trade value you're trading him because mm -hmm. he has a lot of trade value it's just are you actually willing to do it or not that's the question it's are you trying to trade him or are you not? It's not like they're going to try to trade. It's not going to be like Zach Levine where they try to trade him and people want to give you a bag of balls and a dirty towel. And that's the trade offer. Like, that's not what's going to happen. People are going to be coming with real offers for Donovan Mitchell if he's as, made available. As soon as Donovan turned down the extension discussion last summer, which he did, and then the window closed, they can't extend him during the season, mm -hmm. no matter what. They were right. 30 and 0, they couldn't extend him. Uh, as soon as he turned that down, the truth is that the Cavs should have been in secret preparing what they would want to trade him for. That's what a responsible organization does. And the teams out there that have interest in him, and I promise you this is happening, 
would start to begin to think about what they would offer for him. That's mm -hmm. just reality in the NBA. That happens in circumstances everywhere. That's not an insult to the Cavs. No. So the question is, so every, so the Cavs are, I'm sure, ready to have those talks whenever. And the other teams are ready to have those talks whenever as well. It's just a matter of when the phone call's coming. Right. It's, are the, the phone calls incoming or right. it's are the Cavs putting up a for sale sign. That, that's the question. Because this isn't about what are they going to get for him. They'll get a lot for him. It's just do they decide to. And like you said, if Kobe says, look, we think if we're healthy, we added Max Struess, we added George Niang, we've got more shooting. We haven't really had a chance. They've had guys in and out of the lineup with injuries. Well, that's the thing. So so they're they were 13. They, now, they did win. They're 14 and 12 now, but they were 13 and 12 when they lost these two guys. Now, Mobley, they were one and three in the games Mobley missed. So you rewind that. They were, you know, 12 and nine, I guess, before Mobley went out. Um, they've been taught. They are now top 10 in defense. Basically they were in the bottom half of the league in defense. And then Jared Allen came back from an ankle injury and they've been top five Much or six better. defensive teams since that time. And they've raised the top 10 in offense or 23rd. They were a top 10 offensive team last year, spent a ton of money and assets bringing in, uh, Max Struess, um, and, uh, George Niang. And that hasn't helped them at all. Their offense has gone the complete opposite direction. Um, and they are now, frankly, reliant on Tristan Thompson. Uh, Tristan Thompson now plays a very important role, a guy who they thought, I'm sure they were signing to be a, a locker room guy. And now they like need him to play real. By the way, he's playing very well. Like he's he's really contributing. He's like, it's in all, in all honesty, Tristan Thompson in and of himself, regardless of whatever else, is a very interesting story who was out of the league last year and not only helped the Lakers a little bit in the playoffs, but is actually helping the Cavs on a nearly nightly basis. But anyway, they are now looking at like guys who were in the G League last year, undrafted, or guys who were in ESPN studio a year ago. Those are the guys who are like in their rotation right now. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And so I just think a, they have a unique... I just and I, I agree it's a difficult decision to make. I just think they have a very unique opportunity right now because there's it, and it might sort of get made for them because there just isn't anybody available. And you have a lot of teams that are anxious that are antsy right now that are all in kind of a jumbled up morass in both conferences where if you could get a guy like Donovan Mitchell, it could fundamentally alter where these teams are at today and right. Going but forward. the Cavs might go another 15 years before they're able to acquire a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Right. And if, and if it wasn't to me, if it was, it would be, it would be a much different thing if we didn't think this was a conversation that's either happening in late January, early February or July. Like if I wouldn't be saying like, just trade Donovan Mitchell just to move them. But like, it's, that's where it's like, they have a real opportunity right now. Like you said, big man, if they explore the market for him now, you're going to have a feeding frenzy for him. And, and look, if they want to make a run, like I, I would totally understand if they wanted to play it out and try to, have a bidding war in July and see how it goes. But it's just hard for me to see how they're going to do much more than what they did last year. They're going to be in a very hard, hard, hard up way to do better than that. You know, um, the, the uh, Cleveland, Minnesota comparisons interesting because you asked what other stars are out there. And there was a time when we were wondering whether Minnesota might put Carl Anthony Towns on the market and that, you know, primarily for financial reasons down the road. As well as they're playing and as well as he's playing, I cannot possibly imagine that happening can't before the deadline. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, they have Carl under firm control. They have their whole team under firm control other than Mike Conley going forward. 
So they have a different set of no. Their pressure is financial, and, right. and they have a different set of realities and pressures. But um, uh, I just think I'll just go back to what I said right at the beginning of this. I mean, you can go out there, go to the trade machine, have at it. On the other end of the trade, the Cavs can't be demonstrably worse. So you can't say, well, the Knicks can trade them five firsts. That doesn't help the Cavs if the Knicks are very good and the and the, and the Cavs are significantly worse. And then, well, I, well, well, I'm not really sure what you mean by that. I mean, the Cavs have to make the best trade they can make for the Cavs. If that means they get five draft picks and a couple of role players, like, I mean, or one good, really good player, like I... <clears throat> To me, it's I think they have to make the best trade they can. Whenever this happens, whether it's now or later, you have to make the best trade you can make for your well, team. Well, I think that's that's absolutely true. But if the best trade brings you backwards, it's not something you're necessarily looking to do when you've still got the balance of the season and your players are going to return. And you're trying to be as competitive as possible. And you would still have, although two of these three guys are injured, you'd still have the young core that they had in place of Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, um, you know, it is it is similar to the situation the Nets found themselves in last year, and that just became time. It was like, hey, took a swing on a super team, didn't work, got to blow it up. But blowing it up and getting bad was not acceptable because the Rockets owned all their draft capital. They ended up getting McCall Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, two separate trades, and then and then a, a a hall of draft picks. So they at least know that's I mean. true, but there's a big difference. The difference is, is that the nets can in theory plan for cap space and mm. think that they can get a free agent, right? The Cavs will never get a free agent. The only way they can do it is through the draft or trade. And so they'd already don't control their draft. They do control this year's pick, by the way, it's the only pick that they have before 2030 that they actually control uh, this pick. They have it. And uh, they can't trade it, by the way, but they have it and it's not swapped. The, the picks to Utah begin uh, next year and they really don't have much to trade at all other than the expiring contract of Isaac Okoro, who is now starting for them, and Ricky Rubio, who is a partial guaranteed contract next year. And that would straight be a, a cap filler because Ricky is not playing basketball at the moment. And I don't think it's going to anytime in the near future. And you have nothing else to attach to it. They have no first that they can trade, and they have no great young prospects that they can trade. So you could you could find some move where you could get a backup point guard because you need someone to play point guard. What they're doing in the interim is they're playing Donovan Mitchell at point guard and having Karis LeVert kind of be their backup off the bench. But they already were missing, they were already missing a backup point guard because Rubio just mm -hmm. didn't come. So now they're down basically their first and second string. But anyway, this is getting circular. The Cavs, we're going to watch them here in the coming days and see how they go. Their, their schedule is, it's not the toughest schedule coming up, but it's not, you know, it's not like the schedule that the 76ers just went on, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Listen, their um, schedule, the schedule to watch is at the, end of, at the end of January when they come back from Paris and then they play the Bucks, the Hawks, the Magic, the Bucks, the Bucks, and the Clippers right going up to the end of January. That could be a very telling stretch going into the week before the trade deadline. Yeah. See where they're at because those guys are almost play, certainly not going to be back yet. As Bontemps just mentioned, they do go to Paris in, in mid-January as part of the uh, – annual um paris game and uh they're playing the nets there i'm sure that the nba would like donovan mitchell to be 
<laughs> in that game. So would Adidas, he could be, I bet. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose he could play for the Nets by then, but no, I don't think that'll be happening. But uh, just keep that in mind. That's, I believe, like January like 10th or 14th or something well, like that. Well, as Bobby Marks has laid out a bunch of times on Twitter, over the past couple of years, there have been basically no trades until the week of the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, especially with the playing tournament, with so many teams having a shot at it, and frankly, just a couple of really bad teams at the other end of it, a lot of this is probably going to go till February 1st, and then everybody's going to take those nine or 10 days to assess where they're at and decide what they're going to do, which for the Cavs, like the fact that these guys are probably going to be back sometime in early-ish February, they can see where they're at in February 1st and go, hey, all right, like maybe they'll be, maybe they'll overachieve and play great and be in good position when those guys come back, or maybe it'll go the other way and they'll be sitting there and say, all right, we have a week to just, you know, do an auction and see how high the price goes. I will say this on December 15th, they were 13 and 12. And even if there was no health concerns, they were fully healthy. If on January 15th, they were still one game above 500, this was probably going to come to their plate anyway. It really, their performance as a team was putting them in an uncomfortable position. It's not just because they have injuries that are going to set them back. All right. To be continued, I'm sure. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right, McMahon, you made a day trip on Friday after we recorded the last pod to go see John Morant's press conference. Uh, the first time he's talked in how many yeah, months? Since, uh, since the game six elimination. Okay. And there were some similar things said in this one. Uh, certainly the vow to make better decisions was repeated. Um, and look, obviously you're going to that press conference if you're John Morant and there's certain things that are the right things to say. You're coached on, you know, to hit those talking points. He did that. I thought there were two things that he said that hit the nail on the head. And one was when he said, nobody's going to believe me based on anything other than my actions. Like me just up here saying words isn't going to convince anybody of anything. So that cuts through all the, you know, stuff about off-court growth and reflection and so on and so forth. He has to prove that he can not sabotage his own career. He understands that, or at least he verbalized that. The other thing that he said was he feels guilt for where the Grizzlies are right now, which is near the bottom of the Western Conference, and that he takes full responsibility for that. Now, we can go down a long list of things that have also gone wrong. It's not like the Grizzlies. John Morant coming back does not solve all the Grizzlies' problems. It does not come close to solving all the Grizzlies' problems because he's not bringing Stephen Adams with him. He's not bringing Brandon Clark with him. He's not bringing a starting caliber small forward with him, uh, You know, among other things. But I thought it was important for him to take blame, to take accountability, because it is an absolute mess and the biggest factor of the, this massive mess in Memphis right now is the fact that he's gotten himself suspended twice and probably this year the hole is already too deep to dig out of. They're going to have to be pretty spectacular to even have a chance to get in the play in. And I thought it was important for him to accept accountability for that publicly. Yeah, I mean, look, we've said it a bunch of times on the pod, right? Actions over words. So you're right. All your analysis of that is right. But let's see what happens 
Now, assuming Ja is able to play on Tuesday, game will be at. Like, let's see what happens going forward. That I'm I'm sort of over all the words at yeah. this point. And, and again, for them, like they very likely will be 13 games under 500 when he comes back after a 25 game suspension. I'm going to go ahead and pencil in a loss at Oklahoma City for them to put to drop them to six and nineteen. They would have to play at like a 56, 57 win pace to to get back to 500 this year. You know, and it's going to take getting back to 500 to have any hope of even claiming like one of the last playing spots. So almost certainly a wasted season. Stephen Adams is out for the season. Brandon Clark very likely is. And they've had some personnel things that are blown up in their face. Dylan Brooks drilling the dagger three. Hours after John Morant's, hey, I'll, I'll be back soon. Press conference. Yep. He Dylan. By the Brooke, way, Dylan got ejected tonight. Well, there's a shocker, but Dylan certainly enjoyed that moment in Memphis and his. You know what's mate, so crazy uh, about that is it was the exact type of shot. It was a wild shot. Yeah. It was the exact type of shot that drove the Grizzlies fans crazy. Sure. Ill-advised and, and their shot. Front office and their coaching staff. Right. Ill-advised shot in any point in the game, but especially with the game on the line. Right, well, but buried it in their face. But well, Dylan's your, making them look bad. He he's yep. uh, he's having a he's contributing to a massive turnaround in Houston. And again, I don't blame the Grizzlies for moving on from Dylan Brooks because I think it got to the point where it was time. And so I don't disagree with their decision to move on with Dylan from Dylan Brooks. But as you're making that decision, and they tried, they prepared for two years to make that decision. And they failed to get anything resembling a legitimate replacement for him. Zaire Williams, they traded up in the lottery to get him at, at number 10. That was part of the Valanciunas Stephen Adams trade. They traded from 17 to 10 to get him. He's not a rotation player right now. The guy who went 17, Trey Murphy, oh, he's pretty damn good. Hey, it happens. You miss sometimes, right? David Roddy, Jake LaRavia. The hope was one of those three. Zaire Williams, David Roddy, Jake LaRavia would pan out and be a, a decent starting option. Their best starting option in that position right now, by far not even close, not even a debate, is Vince Williams Jr., who's on a two-way contract. When you've got three first-round picks who are getting completely outplayed by a guy on a two-way, that's tough. And they tried to look, they 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 had picks to dangle and they dangled them in the trade market. They targeted Macau Bridges and OG Ananobi and all these wings. They didn't get any of the deals done. And so Dylan Brooks is helping the Rockets win. And the Grizzlies, the failure to replace him is it's not the the number one problem of their season is Ja got himself suspended. Number two is their center situation, specifically Stephen Adams going from three to five weeks to a year and a half. Um, and then another one three, of those, uh, no such thing as minor knee surgery. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, and he he pushed off the surgery until, or they made the decision jointly, I, I should say, to push off the surgery until just before this season started. But then number three is they've got a glaring hole at uh, at small forward and and. They haven't like they haven't replaced Dylan Brooks' toughness. They haven't replaced his tenacity. Um, that's one reason why Vince Williams Jr. is the best candidate because he does have a little bit 
or a, you know, decent amount of, of those two things, but like they've lost three starters from the team that was the number two seed in the Western Conference last year, and they're getting the the most important one of those guys back, but it it, it doesn't it doesn't solve all the problems. And then well, Marcus could... Smart's been hurt, Kennard's been hurt, Derek Rose like shocker guy with that. I mean, mask. they had to have they had to have hardship signings, multiple hardship signings in November. Yeah, but Derek to McMahon's Rose... point, but to McMahon's point. A lot of the story of the Grizzlies comes down to the fact that they've replaced Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, and DeAnthony Melton with David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, and Zaire Williams, and none of them are good enough. Yeah. Like, if you're going to try to do this thing and draft guys in the 20s and do that, that's fine. Those three guys, they're not they're not all perfect players. They're all very good players. Well, they're all and helping good teams right now. And, that's right. You know, the Rockets are probably premature to say they're a good team, a team with a winning record. Hey, they're a lot Melton's better team playing, than Memphis. Yeah, sure, for sure. D'Anthony Melton's playing a, a key role on a very good 76ers team. Kyle Anderson's playing a key role on a very good Minnesota team. And you're right. And then the Marcus Smart trade, like he's he's been hurt a lot. And it it's too early to say that the trade was a bust. Um, but man, he was thrown into a very difficult situation. It went poorly for a wide variety of reasons. And now, like, he's going to be back at some point pretty soon here. And he has to go through this another massive adjustment to figure out okay, how exactly do I fit with John Morant and Desmond Bain? I don't know, man. It's like. Well, look, here's what I'd say. One of the things I've taken from watching Greg Popovich over the years is that nothing is wasted. Uh, especially when the Spurs were really humming. Nothing is wasted. Ray Jones if, is wasted in San Antonio right now, but go on. <laughs> I have to say, it is it is, it is yeah. maddening. I mean, they get up, up 146 to the Pelicans today. It is, they're not a good team. They absolutely cannot defend the Spurs, but it is kind of maddening their refusal to play a point guard. It is, it's, it's, I, I can't explain it. <laughs> I can't explain it. I guess nothing's wasted. All right. Anyway, nothing (laughs) is wasted. Uh, That's one thing that Popovich really excelled at is that even when they were humming along and there would be blowouts in the fourth quarter, Popovich would always work on stuff and work on lineups and work on players that he Mm -hmm. would bring out later. When they would have these games at the end of the Duncan Ginobili Parker reign, when they would rest the guys and they were sort of ahead of everybody resting all these players he would be out there tinkering with stuff. And then later on, who you know, there's some sort of foul trouble or some sort of injury in the playoffs. And up here's a guy that got all these valuable minutes. I mean, he would do that. So here's what I'd say about the Grizzly season. It's not wasted. Nothing is wasted. If you handle your business, you can do some things in this season that can benefit you later. And one well, of the benefits can just be John Morant being John Morant and not causing any headaches for the team off the court for four months. That well, could be part of it. And and he has to prove that for sure. But as far as like if you're if you're searching for silver linings, I do think this Vince Williams Jr. has a chance to be a a pesky defender slash role player type of guy. Like he he looks like he's got a chance to to be a guy who sticks. Um, that would be a nice find for them and at a at a position of critical need. And then I think Desmond Bain. I've talked to to, to Des about this. I think him being the guy, the clear-cut number one option, the guy who every single 
team that is preparing to play the Grizzlies focuses on first in their defensive game plan. Uh, I think there's some long-term benefit there. And, you know, he he's held up very well. He's been very productive and, and uh, consistent throughout this. It's just there wasn't enough around him. But I do think his development into, you know, what he hopes will be an all-star um, won't be this season because of their record. But I, I, I think there can be some benefits to, you know, what he's gone through these first 25 games, what he's faced these first 25 games. It is pretty remarkable that he's played 23 games and Jaron Jackson Jr. has played 24 games and they're six and 18. If we had said before the season, those guys were going to miss one game combined through the first 24 games. I think we'd have said, Hey, there's a pretty good chance that Memphis is going to be all right. And they're not, they're not probably not going to be 18 at six, but maybe they're hovering around 500. Maybe they have a chance to yeah. weather this thing. Well, how do you explain back. being one and 11 at home? I mean, the, the 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 wizards are better than that at home i mean yeah, the, I the mean, pistons are 1 in 12 i mean it's i mean it's almost it's been a strange thing. season it's been a strange season i mean yeah. 1 in 11 at home i mean i think the easiest way to explain it is the grizzlies ha- are have been a bad basketball team yeah like how do, how do you explain 1 in 11 at home 5 and 7 on the road i mean I it's, I, it's not a lot different than trying to explain the warriors last year being like whatever they were 7 and 34 on the road whatever their insane road record was like well you know, it's, sometimes it's stuff, not unusual for a team to be bad on the road versus home well, i i but mean like, but you know, they in were, the nba you you fall you know ass backwards into home right. wins <laughs> i mean that's i, I would if, say i would say they've had some uh, I would say you look at the road schedule. Their road wins are at Portland, at the Clippers when the Clippers couldn't beat anybody right after the Harden trade, at the Spurs, at Dallas when Luca was out on paternity leave, and at Detroit. That's fine, but still one and eleven at home. <laughs> I mean, that's that. I mean, that's just that's that's wild. I mean, <laughs> anyway. And the right, one so- is over Utah when Markinen was out and they had a bunch of injuries. My my point is the Grizzlies have only been able to beat bad teams. Like the Mavs without Luca, or like <laughs> Luca's pretty important. The Clippers obviously are rolling now, but at the time the Clippers were a bad team. Other than that, you're looking at bottom feeders. Those are only quick glance at their quick glance at their schedule too. I mean, I I'm not even sure, I'm not sure they played one bad team at home. The Jazz and they lost to them. Other than. The- Right. Okay. Again, but, but you but you're gonna get teams on the second night of back to backs. You're gonna have a hot shooting. I, mean, night. I understand. Right. I'm just it's, they've just it's, to McMahon's point, they won some road games against bad teams, and they basically played no bad teams at home, and they're a bad team. So they are, you know, have more of a schedule quirk, I think, than anything. More hoop collective podcast after this. All right, at the other end of that spectrum. What team in the NBA, you guys already know the answer, has the best point differential, which has long been a way to evaluate what true teams are. And I'll let you think out there in uh, in listener land. Listener land? Listener, it's the I team, that's, that, it's that's the team very... that's about to host the Chicago Bulls, which very likely will help their point differential Monday night. Right. And um, they, they, rank, they rank well in the uh, Doug Moe standings, uh, plus six. That would be the Philadelphia 76ers, who've won six games in a row, eight out of 10, have a 12, 11.9 differential. Uh, and that's been buoyed by 
an absolutely dominant last 10 days. And Bontemps, you know, you don't win trophies in December, but I'm not sure I've seen too many more dominant stretches than what Joel Embiid just put on over this last seven to 10 days. And I don't know which stats you want to use to illustrate that, but uh, go for it. There's two stats, I think, that sum up. There's one for the week and one for the season. The one for the season is Joel Embiid has scored more points than minutes played so far, which only Will Chamberlain has ever done in the history of the league. Now, that probably will not hold up That's over the course of the season. Absolutely but. amazing. Uh, 20 something. They're, they're 25 games in. I don't know how many yeah. he's played. But Third that's... of the way, he's, he's played, I think, 23 or 24. He's missed one or two games. So the fact that he's averaging that many points at this point is pretty impressive. Uh, this was also impressive. Now, they did play horrible teams this past week, to be fair. But true in four games this week, Joel Embiid averaged 38 points, 12 and a half rebounds, 1.75 steals, 1.75 blocks, shot 66% from the field. I'm waiting went for thir- it. Went 37 for 38 from the foul line. Good. Was plus 121 I'm waiting four for games it. and played zero fourth quarters. That's the one. This season. Because, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. If you play four bad teams, okay, that happens. You're, there's going to be weeks where they play four good teams, especially a team like Philly that's going to have a back-ended schedule because of TV after football season. Okay, it's going to happen. When you blow out all four teams and you don't have to play the fourth quarter, now that's doing something, boy. I mean, they had, a, they had a 45-point win, a 53-point win, 32 and 18. It's pretty good. And this, this year, Joel has already missed, or already sat out, I should say missed, he's already sat out the fourth quarter of eight different games that they've won. That is tied for the record for a season. You want to guess who had the record for that in a season? Was in the last within the last 10 years. Well, it wasn't Wilt because that dude played 47 minutes. It was also within the last 10 years, so it wasn't Wilt Steph. either. Uh, it was Steph. It was Steph when they won 73 games. Wow. He sat out the fourth quarter of eight games, scoring at least 30 points. And Embiid's already Joel's done that eight times this year. Steph did it eight times that entire season when they won 73 games and he had four to threes. So that's how dominant they have been on a lot of nights this year and look like you said you're not winning anything in december but the big fella's feeling really good they are playing really really well tyrese maxi and him have been humming as a combo and the sixers are healthy they got kelly Oubre back on the court they've integrated these guys from the harden trade they look awfully awfully good and they're up they've got an interesting little bit of stretch ahead obviously they play the bulls today We'll see what happens in that game. But after that, they play Minnesota at home on Wednesday, which is going to be an awfully fun game. Then they have Toronto, the Heat, the Magic, and the Rockets over the next 10 days. So the schedule gets a little harder, but it'll be interesting to see what they look like because they have been playing unbelievable basketball for the last few weeks. Yeah, and, and, and none of us saw the Sixers as a contender when all the Harden saga was unfolding. Like, none of us did. Let's just say the guy who won MVP last year uh, remembers that. Just say oh, that's, that. And that's fine. And and good for him. And he won MVP last year. I thought deservedly so. I also thought Joker took his foot off the gas at the end. Embiid's having a better season. He's having the best season in his career right now. He's got the guy who was MVP runner-up two straight years, got an MVP, is having the best season of his career so far this season. And then, obviously... We have talked a lot about Tyrese Maxey's ascension into a bona fide co-star and a guy who's fit perfectly for him. But like they, there's more on Embiid than there's ever been. You know, he's averaging 
six assists per game. That's his uh, career best by a healthy margin. And I think that, um, you know, Daryl Morey, I'm not going to say there's pressure on him. He just got a big fat paycheck again. <laughs> That's true. Nice... I mean, I would just pause there for a second. When Daryl Morey was being called a liar and was being put on blast and he had nothing on the table for James Harden, was negotiating with one team and not getting it done, how many people would have thought that he would have a contract extension before Christmas? Yeah, and and he does. And so that's why I'm not saying there's pressure on him, but boy, uh, you went and you got those assets so you could have a chance to take another swing at a, uh, uh, to upgrade the roster around Joel Embiid. This team's awfully good. Uh, well, they're, I think they're going to be trying for the... Yeah, I think I think you want to get something done to maximize Embiid's chances here. I think of here. all the contenders, you correct me if I'm wrong. Of all the contenders, and I'm talking about for the title, like what do we have? Five, six, for being generous. What's, I mean, why don't we just why don't we just list them? Of all the contenders, That's... what? Let's finish your sentence. They have the ability to upgrade their roster more than any of them. Now, some no, of them have already done that. The are you saying have... Oklahoma City? Are you not counting Oklahoma City? Well, that's no. what I was about to say. This will be a fun uh... exercise. I got a comment on the Sixers, but let's do this first. Let's say let's let's go through the list and see how many teams we got. I assume we'll say Boston is a title contender, right? Who's already made their moves? Mm -hmm. well, they let's just have list the, the ability to make more. Well, let's just second. let's take a step back. Let's just list yeah. the contenders first. So Boston, yeah, we put Minnesota there, yeah, and they have they've to. Taken their let me players. let me say something about Minnesota real quick. And this is Alan Horton, their play by play voice, um, pointing this out. Um, they're in the start of a stretch where they play 16 consecutive games against teams that were over, are over 500, um, at least at the start of the stretch. Mm -hmm. I think they still all are. Um, and the, the Pelicans are the only one that's kind of close. But 16 consecutive games with, against teams over 500. They've played three of the games so far at New Orleans where they lost, at Dallas where they won. You were at the game, the command. Mm -hmm. Versus Indy at home where they won. They're they're in Miami, uh, I believe, on Monday, and then they play at Philly. Eleven of those are on the road. So this this is a team that has zero consecutive losses this year. They've not lost more than one game uh, in a row this year, and that's right. like when you talk about maturity. That's one thing they point to. That so closure within games. Yeah. So like, look, y y they're eighteen and five. You do that. That's very impressive. Five. Don't shortchange them, Brian. Nineteen and five. Sorry, I was a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> what else is new? Um, I would like to withhold my calling them a title contender until well, they get to the end of that. Okay. So you're so you're not putting them on the list right now. I cannot. All right. No. That's fine. But 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 I'm ready to. It's your podcast. Right, so but we'll, regardless we'll, we'll of this conversation, the the, they don't have the assets to be aggressive in the trade market. They have so. zero assets. Well, I'm more Let's curious see. first. Yeah. I'm more curious first to just see how many teams we put in this bucket. We'll okay. put Milwaukee there? Yes. yes. What about Philly? Yes. Yes. What about Oklahoma City? Not there yet. Got a pretty good chance to be there. Got right, a so pretty Brian, good Brian's standard's there. higher. So far, Brian's got three. Dallas, we're saying no, right? No. Yeah, I can't do it. Orlando, terrific. I'm just going down the whole league by Orlando. Record. Just Orlando, got reminded of where no. they are in Boston the last couple days. Boston, honestly, is we're done. We're done in the East, as far as I'm concerned. Me too. All right, so I'll just skip. I'll just go through and skip the West team. So Denver, yes, yes, Sacramento. I can't get there quite I mean, yet. You're no. not, you, Brian, you can't hesitate on that if you're not putting Minnesota there. They got to be no. A no, no. The Clippers, yes, yes. Okay, and they've the taken Lakers? their big swing. 
I think you have to with the Lakers just because so LeBron too. is still LeBron James. And if AD is healthy and playing they have, well. They have two Hall of Famers and they defend. Yeah. And then that's, that's it. We can't put the Suns there. But, you know, not until they get in an extended groove. The Warriors are a mess. What about, what about the Pelicans? They're the one team I skipped no, over record wise. Can't do that. Okay. Can't no. do that. No. So we're saying the contenders as of now, official hoop collective contenders as of December 18th, <laughs> yeah. Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Denver, Clippers, Lakers, six teams. Well, right. And I'm putting OKC in Minnesota. In. I know, but it's not our podcast as we know, as we know. That's a good man. point. Brian's. So Brian has six contenders. I, I don't have them. That's right. Of those six contenders, I do think you could argue that Philly has the most to trade because most of them six. have nothing to trade. No, and and even if we even if we expand it to include, you if know, include Oklahoma City, they have the most to trade. Right, Oklahoma yes. City is the only one we can we right. can expand. Minnesota if, doesn't. Even if you want to throw, if you want to throw teams that are six games or more above five hundred, five five games or more above five hundred, which will get the top six teams in the West: Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Denver, Sac, and the Clippers, and then that would right. get Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and Orlando, Oklahoma City is the only one that has more assets, but it's it's different. the The urgency is totally different in Philadelphia than it is in just Philly. Philly Oklahoma. has enough if they want because of the bevy of expiring contracts that they have, and I'm mm -hmm. not expect you know I'm not expecting them to trade Tobias Harris, but because of the expiring contracts that they have, they have the ability to potentially make two traded two trades. I think they've got four tradable firsts. I think that's right, Bontemps. Well, here's four what I would say. tradable firsts. Yeah. Here's what I would say. I would say that with the play of Tyrese Maxey and the leap he has made, what has happened for the Sixers is when Daryl Morey was making the James Harden trade, right? What was the line we kept hearing over and over and over again? He's either got to get a star back mm -hmm. or he's got to get the assets back that could get them a star player, right? With the way that Tyrese Maxey has played, I think it has changed the calculus for the Sixers because now they have their two stars. They've got Tyrese yeah. Maxey. They've got Joel Embiid. So now if they can get a third star, well, then great. Like whether it's Donovan Mitchell or whoever, name your player that becomes available. Great. There's your third star. There's your three stars. You hope you win with that. What I think is the more likely path, especially because I don't really expect any stars to be available and because they have those two guys and their assets are middling, as opposed to mm -hmm. like having an ability to overwhelm anybody, they can now go get, like you said, Brian, two or three good players. And if they go from what they have now and add two more quality rotation level players to this team, then I think you can put them in a similar class with Milwaukee and Philly or in Boston and Denver and like the very, very high end championship level teams. Or if they can rate, you know, fill in some of the weaknesses they have, get another secondary ball handler because they only really have max you can on the perimeter right now maybe get some more scoring, make a couple moves like that, then I think they're really cooking. And what I will say is the Sixers are very aware of that. And as we all know, Daryl Moore is typically pretty aggressive to begin with. And I'll be pretty surprised if this team is not doing everything they can to get better between now and the trade deadline. Because they see how good Joel is playing. They see how good this team is. And I think they're going to be pretty aggressive trying to make it better between now and then not Here's sitting back and saying, hey, we're having a nice season. We'll just let it set, let it settle and see what it looks like. Here's their expiring contracts. Now I do not think they're trading Tobias Harris. I do not think they're trading Nick Batum, who has been very good for them. Mm -hmm. A terrific addition for them. That was no throw in Marcus Morris, 17 million. 
the Anthony Melton, eight million. I think the uh, standard for trading him would be pretty high. But Again, Robert Covington, two guard, right? Robert Covington, eleven and a half. He and Morris most likely, I think, to be available. And because they are not an a uh, second apron team, you know, um, they they've got about I think about eleven million um, before the second apron. They can make a trade with I think where they can go up to a twenty five percent, right, uh, Bontemps? Yes. Well, so the simplest way to put it is they've got one hundred and ten million dollars in expiring contracts. They can do whatever they want, right? But from that but standpoint, with, with Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, and Furkan Korkmaz, uh, and even Daniel House, that's um, almost forty million dollars in contracts where they wouldn't dramatically uh, affect themselves. Right. And in theory, depend as long as they don't add too much, you know, they can add, you know significant salary and stay under the second apron so that you know that they don't you know you don't you know they could they could pretty they could be aggressive they could they could go after boyan bogdanovich for example if the pistons were to trade him he's a guy to to watch and still have the assets potentially to make another trade yeah and and I, i think it's important to note that you don't often see teams trade four stars mid-season and make a championship run. I mean, when's the last time that's happened, right? It's a lot easier to implement high-quality role players than it is a guy who things are going to have to revolve around to a certain degree. I mean, is Rasheed Wallace the last one? I have to think about it. Um, if you want to put Sheed, I mean, is in, Mark, does Marcus Gasol count as a star at that point? No, in his career, because probably he was more not, of a right? high. I would put, I would put that Mark Gasol. I would, I would say he well, was Paul Gasol. <laughs> what about did they make they the final? They didn't win the first year, did they? Was but they that made 2007? the finals. I think they made the finals. Was that a midseason trade? Yeah. Okay. I thought that was. I mean, Clyde Drexler. It's it's not often. It's but, a rare. It's a rare thing. Regardless, yeah. it's rare. Right. I think Aaron Gordon, they might have made a run if Jamal Murray hadn't Again, high-caliber role player. I mean, high, yeah, but he's high, never made an all-star high team. He's not a star. Yeah. Rasheed Wallace was a star. You know, when, when yeah. I say star, I'm talking about a guy who's going to be one of your top two, you know, maybe three usage players. A guy who yeah. you know, the offense is going to Well, you know what? Like Harden, I guess, is a candidate there. It. Harden's a candidate if the Clippers do it, although he's not one of their top two. Yeah, and even uh, that was a, was a very early season trade where – you're right, Brian. Powell to the Lakers in 08, not 07. That was the year they lost to the Celtics in the finals. Yeah. But the, your point is stands. It's it's rare. But and, a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich, like, listen, you know how he's going to play. He He's going to space the floor for these guys. He's going to space the floor and play off of Maxine Embiid. And Embiid is obviously an MVP caliber player. You know, as Bontemp said, Maxie has ascended to the point where you you don't necessarily need star power. You need pieces that fit around those guys. Yep. All right. All right. Well, this was fun. Thank you for listening to the Collective Podcast. Thank you to Bon Temps. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Jackson, our producer, who's staying up late yet again in December. But he's a trooper. And thank you for listening. We will talk to you later this week. Adios, amigos. 